You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. Without question, the COVID-19 pandemic has fundamentally shifted the office landscape in the greater Toronto area. Jarring early images of an empty downtown core provoked fear that office life as we knew it was over. But two years into the pandemic, what are employees and their employers now feeling about the post-pandemic work environment? TREB collaborated with the Toronto Region Board of Trade and Maru Public Opinion on a new report titled Navigating the New Normal. We interviewed business executives and workers alike to see how work patterns might shift and the commercial real estate needs that could result. Joining me to walk through some of the findings in the report are John Wright and Craig Rattan. John is Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, and Craig is the Policy Director of Energy, Environment, and Land Use at the Board of Trade. Welcome, both John and Craig. Great to be with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, it's, it's a very exciting topic, and, and I think it's great to have both of you here. And, and first off, I, I want to set the scene, and, and maybe, Craig, we'll start with you. What trend, trends has the Board of Trade seen as we move through successive waves of the pandemic in terms of how different sectors of the economy or nodes of employment have fared? Yeah, thanks for that, Jason. Uh, we have been tracking it throughout the pandemic uh, through the board's Economic Blueprint Institute team. They've been taking a lot of different sources of data and combining them to see uh, where workers are and are not returning. Um, they have a, a model they've called business districts that looks at different types of uses across the region. So goods production and distribution districts, for example, uh, that it involves a lot of e-commerce and manufacturing, they only dropped off at, at most about 20% during the pandemic and have really risen back up sort of fully. Right. Uh, and a lot of other districts have sort of been, had an initial hit and have been floating somewhere in that 60 to 80% of normal range. Um, but the financial district is a really different story. You know, it plummeted to about 10% or less uh, right away. Uh, and the first time it really started to make some sort of return was over the summer and through the fall when we really had that, that first chance at reopening uh, and made it up uh, to around 25% by our metrics uh, before Omicron hit and really forced that return to closures. So um, there's still a long road to go for the financial district. Uh, compared to other business districts. But uh, thankfully, we, we do know that there, there is some potential of that return starting to go based off the trends we saw in the fall. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because if you think about, you know, the economic recovery from the initial phases of COVID-19, it was actually, you know, those sectors of the economy associated with average to above average earnings. And a lot of those were, were associated with, uh, um, you know, office work and particularly in the downtown core. And so, you know, the economic activity or, or economic benefit, if you think about GDP and what have you, um, you know, continued on in, in terms of those sectors. But, you know, where that work was taking place and the linkages to, you know, transit and ancillary retail, I think it's the real sort of conundrum um, as we move forward. And, and we're going to talk about that in detail as we, as we move through uh, today's show. But, you know, John, just thinking about the fact that we haven't seen any meaningful return to the downtown core, what does your polling suggest about people's willingness to go back even once restrictions uh, are lifted? 
Well, the funny thing is that for the people that are listening to this, most of them are probably in the same situation as the people we talk to. Um, they're either working hybrid or they're working from home full time. We've had an embedded society basically since March of 2020. And we really haven't had much communication from employers um, indicating whether they're going to be returning. And this research was done in the latter part of the year when Omicron was just starting to get going. So there's obviously a wariness around that. But I think with the lifting of the restrictions that we're now starting to see in the province of Ontario and other places, there might be some keenness to evaluate how people are, are feeling about this. But honestly, I think most people, uh, when you look at the data, almost eight in 10 of them are quite happy where they are. I mean, they, they like the life, they like the, the flexibility, they're happier where they are. Uh, most of them haven't had their employer talk to them about going back. And even if they have had them, the extension period of terms of when that will happen is, is quite lengthy. Like no one really knows. So we're in this kind of no man's or no person zone at the moment. I would say, however, that there's a group of people who, if they are forced to go back, um, may not go. Um, you know, we're roughly finding that 40% of the people in, in this circumstance, whether they're hybrid or full-time, may in fact begin looking for other jobs. And so that's going to have an impact on the uh, human resources uh, elements of all of these businesses. Um, the second thing is that um, it may have an impact on, you know, how much money they spend going back and forth. And and as a result of that, again, uh, a lot of unknowns. Uh, I'd say there's a bit of a trepidation um, because they don't know what it's, it's going to be like. But the last thing I'd say is that um, you find that it's not just the work environment that people may be uh, concerned about, but also their own home environment. You know, a lot of these people have got daycare needs and other kids at home too. And so they've become much more comfortable where they are. And as a result, moving them quickly back to the office space may not in fact be something that a lot of them are prepared to do right away. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, you know, because on top of getting used to, you know, working from home and thinking about whether or not you want to go back to, you know, the sort of the, 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 the pre-pandemic environment where, where, you know, the majority of work, you know, was, was, was accomplished away from home. Um, you know, that, that's an important point as well is that, you know, the whole, you know, your whole day has shifted in terms of how it unfolds. The expectation that like you mentioned school and daycare is that, you know, parents would be, you know, available and more flexible, um, you know, because, you know, they are at home. So, it, you know, that, that's an interesting kind of spinoff uh, is that, you know, other sectors of the economy have shifted or become used to, you know, people having more flexibility as well. Well, we're in our own ecosystems now. Um, I have to say from a personal experience uh, in March of 2021, one year after this all began, I actually came down the basement where I'd been working for an entire year and said, you know what, it's time to clean this up and become a little more permanent. Um, in my own household, there's me in the basement, my wife in the middle floor and my university daughter in her bedroom. Um, and this has been our life now for virtually two years. So to suddenly suggest that, you know, we're all going to move back to an office or even on a hybrid basis, that, that, that takes some mental gymnastics as well as some logistics. I think that that's a fair to say that the research found that among other people. I mean, we didn't go into the personal side of it. That's an inflection of what we can see. Sure. But, but clearly employers and others are going to have to examine this for two reasons. 
One is if you took people and put them on an island for two years and suddenly brought them back to shore, they, they'd have some habits that were different. And many of them might want to just go back to the island and work from there. The second thing, though, is that the actual work environment and how we do our work may change significantly. And as a result, if you are eliminating, let's say, four in 10 workers who used to be in the workplace, it's going to affect the downtown core significantly and all the ancillary businesses around that. So I don't think we can put a number on it yet, how many or what the impact's going to be. But the data lays it open right now that a lot of people are quite comfortable doing what they're doing. And it, you know, companies are going to have to take a very special care in bringing those people back. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, Craig, that, that's a nice sort of segue into uh, talking about the interviews that you did with senior executives in, in, in a little bit more detail. It, it seemed uh, uh, that, that you know, most executives and, and most businesses are, are in tune with the fact that there will be a need to offer some sort of hybrid work model going forward, but maybe uh, provide a little bit more details on some of the recurring themes that came out of those uh, uh, interviews and maybe if there's some outliers there as well. Absolutely. Yeah, there are a couple of different strands I can pick up on there. Um, and I think the first one is further to the point, John was saying, you know, these executives have heard the message loud and clear from their workers about what they want and what they're expecting. And um, there have been more than enough, uh, you know, a, attempted plans that have returned to office over the last two years that yeah. keep getting pushed out with a new wave or a new variant, um, that the, it's become a bit of a drill now. Uh, but, you, you know, some people are calling this era the great resignation. Uh, the you know, it's really a war for talent is what business executives are, are hearing and uh, what they express to us in the interviews. And so they know that uh, to access the talent that they want, they have to be paying attention to what the workers are saying they want and need. So that's probably the main driving force in terms of understanding the, the need for hybrid. Uh, and the executives have also seen, you know, over the last two years that work from home for the most part has been really productive, that the work that's needed to has gotten done. Uh, and so that maybe removes uh, a fear-based reason of, of getting people back to the office five days a week that uh, might have been there, you know, if we had only done this shift for a few weeks, that there's enough of a track record there that there's that comfort and understanding that different environments are better for different types of work. You know, they understand that the work from home position is, uh, is better for deeper dives, for focused work, uh, but also what they're, what they're noticing um, and, you know, what I've personally experienced, too, is that there are types of work that are much better when you can get face to face, when you can really read that body language, have some of those brainstorms or that conversation together. Uh, and it's that sort of interaction that uh, the executives we talk to really think will drive the return to office, you know, not five days a week, uh, but as a part of the mixture of work in a really intentional way. And, uh, and some of those businesses have already started redesigning their workplaces to create more of that opportunity for collaboration and, and for that kind of connection. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I'm curious, and, and, and this may be more supposition than, than, than anything else, but sort of having your finger on the pulse, you know, qualitatively with, with you know, executives in, in different sectors focused in the downtown core. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of these interviews were done, obviously, pre-Omicron. And, and now that we've gone through another wave, um, like, do you think views have even changed from, say, the, the, the summer and fall of, of last year versus where we are now and, and sort of moving towards perhaps uh, a, a bit of a reopening and a bit of a, uh, um, 
I guess, uh, progression into, you know, uh, the, the, the hybrid work environment we're talking about. But do you think there's even been a, a bit more of a softening even on the part of those executives that might have been more looking forward to getting back to a more traditional work environment? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And, and I think you're probably right there. I think uh, more than anything, what Omicron did was probably put the nail in the coffin once and for all of the idea that there is some sort of finish line that we can see and that there is something you know concretely different on the other side. I think that's really driven home the fact that this is going to be a gradual emergence, um, that things will continue to shift, that it's not going to be linear. And so they just have to be prepared to respond and react according to that. And and really embracing and understanding that you know COVID is not going to go away one day. That it it you know hopefully we're at or nearing the point where it becomes endemic and uh, downgrades from the the severity and intensity. But that it becomes a factor that we need to bake into the way the way that businesses operate, the way that uh, they choose to bring workers back, and and trying to understand and maintain. I think that that flexibility. I think what we've heard from uh, some of the folks in particularly human resources that we've been engaging with is that understanding of the, the need to remain flexible and be able to respond to, to circumstances as they change. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and both John and Craig, I mean, your, your research certainly spoke to the likelihood of a, of a structural shift um, in, in terms of, you know, workers expecting uh, and, 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 you know, demanding more flexibility in the workplace as, as we move uh, into the, in, hopefully into the pre-pandemic uh, world, at least. And, and certainly, Craig, you know, more and more uh, um, you're seeing, you know, executives from, from, from businesses or employers uh, certainly warming up to, um, you know, some sort of uh, change and hybrid environment um, as well. But, you know, there's also, the, the other side of things and the linkages that, that uh, existed pre-pandemic in terms of ancillary spending in, 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 in businesses, you know, the, the past system in downtown Toronto, restaurants, you know, retail outlets and, and what have you. And, and then also obviously the spending on transit and transportation for people to get, you know, to and from work. So John, maybe starting with you, what did your polling find with regard to expected changes in, in pre and post pandemic spending patterns and, and also intentions related to trip to work and, and, and spending near the workplace? Yeah, we found that uh, people were spending on average about $30 a day. And if you took people and you put the supposition to them, you know, if you were returning to work, what would you be doing? We found that roughly a third of them would be spending about 30 bucks or a little bit more than that. And a third of them would be spending roughly the same or less. And then 37% were stuck right in the middle saying that they'd spend the same amount. So uh, on the whole, what you find is probably a net loss because that's how the numbers played out on the page. Secondly, we found that um, people would probably be uh, less involved in public transit, again, given today's circumstance, and more involved in driving their cars, which of course has implications of where you put those cars and how you do that sort of stuff. So the, the net of all of it is, is it, it'll take another study to figure out the dollars and cents of all of this, but in the intentions of it, it's, it looks like a, a, more people at this stage are less likely to be returning than they were um, you know, before the pandemic began. And as a result, there will be a net loss of spending anyways, but even with those who are traveling, they're probably gonna spend a little bit less anyways. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And 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 Craig, I mean, executives had concerns, especially around you know transit usage and and, and investment post pandemic. Because I mean, if we if we do see you know a shift in in, in transit patterns, I mean, we have large scale transit investment uh, taking place in, in in southern Ontario right now, both in the Greater Toronto area and and and, and broader GGA. So I mean, what are they saying? And what were some of their concerns around you know the the, the current pattern of of, of, of transit development and, and perhaps how, you know, needs may change moving forward and, and how that may affect their business and, you know, potentially ability to, uh, um, you know, have workers, you know, participating in some sort of hybrid model. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, we heard concerns, I would say, in two main buckets. The first in the short term was just concern around the perception of safety on transit and, uh, you know, the, what they were hearing from their workers in terms of uh, being fearful to ride transit. Uh, sure. And perhaps not being aware of all the measures that have been put in place to keep it safer, um, that, that the, the investments that have been made. Uh, and then when they looked to sort of the longer term, there was some of this concern and, and frustration around, uh, you know, how much of the region had access to rapid transit around particularly some of those last mile services to connect more people to those rapid transit investments. And, and that concern really stemmed from being, ensure that, being sure that their workforce could, could access the job and could come back to the office. I think that was a, a big concern, particularly as we saw some movement of people in, in terms of over the pandemic, choosing a, a place with more space. Uh, I know John's numbers showed that was only, I think, about 13% of people who moved, but uh, you know that still could be impacting an important part of your workforce. So it was really trying to understand how, how long and, uh, and firm those, those connections could be for people to be able to connect home and work. Uh, and, and what we heard was, you know, a desire for it to be, to be bigger and, and broader here, uh, in the region, uh, and also some recognition that, that, that expansion is continuing. Uh, and so particularly for, uh, for any of these businesses who have offices downtown, uh, and might be thinking of, uh, expanding their offices or creating a more distributed network with offices throughout the GTA, some of that relies on two-way transit, um, which I know has been a, a constant friction point, for example, between Toronto and Kitchener-Waterloo, um, trying to right. ensure that that two-way service is there. And so the, the investments that are going on right now to build more transit in Toronto to really expand and, and make uh, you know, all-day service, two-ways of reality across much more of the GO network, um, those are investments that I think the, the business community and the executives that we spoke with saw as being really valuable in terms of the uh, the long-term value proposition of uh, of locating and continuing to invest and grow in the region. Yeah, I, I think it's really important. You know, I mean, John mentioned earlier that uh, you know there are areas for further research that uh, that came out of the study, and obviously, number one, you know, thinking about you know the employment that was associated with that ancillary spending on you know accommodation, food, beverage, and 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 retail on the downtown. I mean, obviously. Um, you know, there probably will be a gap there that 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 would need to be absorbed uh, to some degree, and in, in in other sectors of the economy, or at least the geography of where that economic activity takes place. So that'll be important, and and it obviously has commercial real estate implications on its own. And then on top of that, you know, I mean, are we going to see you know a structural shift in, in in transit patterns and even related land use? And so I think if if nothing else coming out of this study beyond you know speaking about you know people's expectations about back to work in, in the post-pandemic period i mean there's real sort of land use and and economic development um issues at play here as well that that we're going to have to tackle moving forward um and i think you know that maybe is a is a nice kind of segue to the last question i had for 
for both of you because um, it's a timely piece of research, not only because, you know, hopefully we're, we're moving to the other side of the, of the pandemic, but also the fact that we're headed towards both a, a provincial and, and, and municipal elections in Ontario. Um, and in this regard, I mean, what are the key areas that policymakers need to be looking at uh, in more detail, especially based on the findings of this report. And, and John, maybe I'll start with you and, and then we'll end off with Craig. Well, there's a few things that come to mind. Uh, first of all, I think there's gotta be a common forum where people can, policy leaders and executives can meet and exchange information and have views that are put into sort of a common information place. Um, there, there hasn't been a round table, and maybe this is something where boards of trade are going to have to play a role in, in bringing people together so that they understand that terrain. As a perfect example, I mean, we've had the Premier just recently announce a, a whole series of measures which, in fact, are going to affect how people um, don't have to wear masks anymore or that they don't have to do uh, some of the, the passport rules and things like that. There was a commonality of trust that you had in, in, in the months previous that if you went somewhere, I mean, everybody was playing by the same landscape, but that's not going to be the case anymore. So there's, there's, there's going to have to be a transition phase that's put in place. And I think that that's critical. I'd say the second thing, Jason, is really um, how people, how people who uh, are younger need to get into the marketplace to be part of an economy, which in fact, in many ways has outstripped them in terms of their ability to rent or to be part of, of a core economy. Um, once you remove those people, um, you remove all kinds of retail businesses and others to service them. And we know that it's tough to find those people. So I think that politicians and policymakers are going to have to address the, the accommodation of people who need either to own a place or rent something and can't get into the marketplace well enough in order to support how they're going to be part of the economy going forward. I think those are going to be those two things are going to be the most important, the transition and allowing people to be part of, uh, of a city or a landscape where they can go to work back and forth to support the others who want to return to the office space. I think that's going to be a big challenge. Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, you know, one of the challenges is just kind of keeping the fabric or, or trying to sustain the fabric that we had in the downtown core of Toronto, you know, post pandemic, because, you know, if you think about what makes Toronto great and, and different from a lot of other uh, North American cities, both in Canada and, and obviously south of the border in, in, in the United States was that, you know, continuity between, you know, sort of the the, the, the work part of the day and, and, and the pleasure part of the day and those linkages between, you know, different businesses and, and, uh, and different leisure opportunities. So I think that, you know, that'll be important to, to look at moving forward. But, you know, Craig, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, uh, current policymakers and, and would-be policymakers as we move towards both the provincial and municipal elections? Yeah, I'll start right where you picked it up, Jason, which is the, the impact on the downtown core. And, uh, you know, I think City of Toronto politicians need to be really mindful and focused on that, both because of the property tax revenue that the towers in the downtown core and all the businesses there generate and the broader GDP and economic impact that all that spending does. And, uh, you know, thinking to the medium term, uh, you know, we're not going to bounce back right away to that 100%. There's going to be some shifts. And so there's a real, I think, need to think about how to incubate that and how to uh, both grow that back to where it used to be and, and maybe make up for it elsewhere. And uh, I will say that, uh, you know, Mayor John Tory has been really engaged in the board's efforts as we've been looking and focused at restarting the downtown core. So I know that that awareness is on the radar. Uh, and as we look at sort of some of the broader implications as well, uh, yeah, the ripple impacts on the housing market are huge. And I think this has been 
the, the research that we found and the, the results we found here in terms of the ability to work remotely and the shifts that some people did who want to stay remote forever uh, has really uh, contributed to that uh, out migration from the city to uh, beyond the GTA and to, you know, small towns and further afield. And that's really had an impact on housing prices. And so I think we need uh, a provincial government that really is aware of just how dramatically the landscape has shifted even over the last year and the need for some really bold policy solutions to try and put a, a you know, a slow down on the uh, the runaway prices that we're seeing to enable more people to, to get that foothold in the market. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that really sort of brings it together. And, you know, because we're not just talking about, you know, downtown core employment and the implications on commercial real estate, but there is also that that ripple effect into into the housing market and 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 the geography um, of that uh, of that housing. Because, you know, we're certainly seeing that that movement to other parts of the of the Greater Golden Horseshoe out of the GTA proper prior to the pandemic, and and uh, you know, obviously, the, you know, COVID nineteen and and uh, everything associated with that really even put it under the microscope and, and even accelerated uh, some of those trends. And I, I think, you know, to you both, I mean, that was really the strength uh, of, of, the, of the work that, that both of your respective organizations put into this report is not only did it, did it speak to you know, our, our, our initial research problem, we were looking at you know, what was employment and what was back to work gonna look like uh, post pandemic, but it also really highlighted you know the 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 need for for further research and, and further consideration on on issues like transit and the you know the economic impacts of uh, perhaps not having the same level or t- same type of uh, uh, of spending and it's something that policymakers are really going to have to be mindful of um, over the next uh, number of years. So I want to thank you both for for taking part uh, and 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 bringing our listeners up to speed on navigating the new normal. It's a great report, and certainly they can access it um, at our our website treb.ca. So thank you very much, and to all of our listeners, don't miss another episode. Subscribe to Treb's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks to you all for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B.ca to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.